Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Good morning, Janesville Church family. I thank God for you guys. I'm excited about what God's doing in your midst. Hey, if we've never met, uh, I'm Dave Clark. I'm the lead pastor at uh, at the Beloit campus. And I I thank God for our Kellen and the excellent pastoral leadership uh, that he offers you. If you're with us for the first time, man, we are delighted to have you. And here's my question for everyone. How are you doing? I mean, how are you doing, really? Recent research indicates that one-third of us are struggling right now with anxiety and depression. I mean, we've been stuck in the COVID pits for two years, and it's painful. Uh, Maybe you haven't contracted the virus, but likely you've gotten a bad case of the lonelies. The, the, The sense of isolation has been something else, or... In our Saturday night service, there's a lady recently who told me that the only time she gets a hug every week is when she comes to church. So I hugged her three times. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And if you're one of the 100 million people struggling with depression, man, I feel your pain. Six months into COVID, in the fall of 2020, I I was depressed. I was feeling anxiety, and I hate it. I hate that kind of stuff. So I took immediate action to get out of the pit of fear and despair. First thing I did, I stopped watching the news. I was a news junkie, and it was killing my mental health. And then, in addition, I doubled down on Jesus. I, I took all the time I was wasting all the energy I was investing in the news, and I put it into studying God's Word. I put it into meeting Jesus in prayer. I I increased the time of my worship, and maybe most particularly, I increased the amount of time I served other people in Jesus' name. And there's a a pretty good four-step way to get out of the pit of depression and to bleed off the anxiety more time in God's Word, more time in prayer, more time in worship, and more time serving others. Well, the the results have been huge for me. It's been 16 months. Uh, Since then, I still don't watch the news, and I still OD on Jesus, and it's been incredible. I've had a surging uh, growth spiritually, my, my, my love has moved beyond bounds. Uh, I've generated genuine joy. I've got a heightened sense of hope and, and an awareness, a keen awareness of the presence of God in my life and his work to my good. I thank God that I can OD on Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do the same. In fact, I want to show you with Kellen how we can do the same. We want to lead you on an action-packed adventure pursuing Jesus, the epic Jesus. And this is an epic adventure. Um, The word epic means extraordinary. And that does justice to what we're going to experience. We're going to use uh, the Gospel of Mark 
as our travel guide for this adventure. But I want to encourage you, so you can wring every drop of benefit out of this teaching series leading up to Easter, that on your way out, grab a study guide. Then this week, grab a friend or a family member and do the study guide together. Or this is what I love. Quest 52. This is awesome. I love what it's doing for my spiritual life. Our leadership is going through this together. You can buy one of these and use it for your personal benefit in pursuing the epic Jesus. Now, man, Mark's gospel, his account of the life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus just leaves us breathless. He does it in rapid fire fashion. His focus is on all the actions of Jesus. In fact, over a thousand times, he uses these three words, and now immediately. And Jesus did this. Then Jesus did that. Immediately, Jesus did this. And Jesus did that. He carries us in hyperdrive all the way to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And so buckle your seatbelts. Man, we are in for an exciting ride pursuing the epic Jesus. Invite your friends. Bring your family every weekend as we share together. But if I could put Mark's gospel into one sentence, it would be the words of the angel. At the end of Mark, the words of the angel speaking to some women who were caught in a frenzy of anxiety and depression. Here's what the angel said. The angel said, don't be afraid. Don't let fear be the dominant force in your life. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to a cross. He isn't here. He came back to life. Look, that's where his body was lying. Now go and give this message to his disciples. Jesus is going ahead of you. Man, I love that. I love the fact that we have a go-ahead Jesus because we face a future of uncertainty. We don't know the outcomes, but we have a Jesus who goes ahead of us, plowing a path, making a way, working everything together for the good, making everything beautiful in its time. And so when we feel ourselves caught in the crises of uncertainty, and we want peace, and we want hope, and we want joy, some kind of joy in the midst of it, the trick is to keep following Jesus into the future. In fact, Jesus climaxes um, Mark's gospel uh, with this promise. Anyone who believes me and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe me will be condemned. Now, the word believe in the Greek is pistis. It means to surrender. Anyone who surrenders to me and is baptized will be saved. I mean, saved for heaven, yeah, but saved right now. Saved from marital difficulty. Saved from emotional difficulty. Saved from financial difficulty. We just surrender our marriages. We just surrender our emotions. We just surrender our monies to Jesus. Now, that's the end of Mark's account. Here's the beginning. Here's how he just rips back the curtain. 
throws the spotlight center stage. It's like a professional announcer. Steps into the spotlight, takes the microphone, and declares, this is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right out of the gate, Mark puts up front the unique identity of Jesus. Jesus means Savior. He's our Savior, God in the flesh. Christ means King. He's the King of our lives. He is God, the Son of the living God. And so, everything in your relationship with Jesus revolves around your understanding of his unique identity. In fact, your understanding of your own identity is wrapped up in how you come to know Jesus and who he truly is. You see, when you know who Jesus is, you can know who you are. And this is a struggle for the vast majority of people today. The vast majority of people struggle with their identity, who they truly are on all kinds of levels. In fact, I want you to guess what question popped up on the internet most often in 2021. It was the question, who am I? Isn't that wild? Google research indicated that a million times a month, people were searching for the answer to that question, who am I? So I decided to Google it myself to see what popped up on my computer screen. Here's what I found out. Most people struggle with their true identity because they base their identity on things that don't last and things that don't matter, like their appearance, like the kind of car they drive, like the amount of money they make, like the amount of education they have, like the kind of house they live in. The psychologist went on to indicate that people find their unique identity diluted by their relationships. Who would have thought that, that being in relationship with friends and family and coworkers and kids at school, it, it can easily dilute who we truly are. In fact, I would go so far as to say, that your true identity is only found in a real relationship with Jesus. The, the phrase in Christ appears 164 times in the writings of the Apostle Paul alone. It's in Christ that we discover who we truly are. Here's how the Apostle Paul wrote about our relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Christ, that's my King, he lives in me. Christ in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Jesus, my Savior. And so as soon as Mark identifies the unique, godly identity of Jesus, he pushes quickly to the first action Jesus takes. Remember, Mark's gospel is all about the actions of Jesus, and this is the very first one. You think it would be a sensational, mind-blowing miracle? What's the first action Jesus takes? He's 30 years old. 
Here's how Mark sets the scene. John the Baptist appeared in the wild preaching a baptism of life change that leads to forgiveness of sins. People thronged him from Judea. That's the whole surrounding countryside and the capital city of Jerusalem. They confessed their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan River into a changed life. I read that this week and it reminded me. I got two thank you cards from uh, two kids that I baptized last weekend. A 10-year-old Landon and an 8-year-old Brinley. I wanted to read you Brinley's thank you card. It reads like this. Thank you for our bath baptizing. That's pretty awesome. Thank you for our baptizing, David. I love you, and I know you love me. You're the best. See you Sunday. Love, Brinley. I feel like a new person. She is a new person. She is in Christ. Man, what joy. And we become regularly renewed, made new through our ongoing, deepening relationship, our pursuit of more in our relationship with Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way. This is what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. You are given his wonderful new life to enjoy. And so let me set the scene. Let me give you a mental image. Get in your mind a beautiful Jordan River flowing out of, of the Sea of Galilee, down toward the Dead Sea. I mean, it's like an oasis. Palm trees are everywhere. I've been there a half a dozen times through the years and baptized people and even been baptized in the Jordan River. Well, this time, people are lining, crowds of people are lining both banks. And into that scene, John's in the middle of the river. He's preaching, come, confess your sins, have your sins forgiven, be baptized, enjoy new life. In that moment, enter Jesus. And the word says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. It was 70 miles away. He goes on a 70-mile hike to be baptized and was baptized by John. In the Jordan. Uh, and you might say, time out, David. What, what's the deal here? Jesus is the sinless son of God. He has no sins to confess. He doesn't need to be forgiven. Why is Jesus being baptized? Friends, this is, this is the son of God surrendering to his father in heaven. This is the, the son of God humbling himself in obedience this is the Son of God making his best effort to please his Father in heaven. And so his baptism is the first picture painted of his coming crucifixion and burial and resurrection. And more than that, the baptism of Jesus points to your baptism. points to your baptism. 
and the new life that you experience in him. I thank God for you. And I want to hand off to Kellen now as he continues our time of teaching. All right, so he talks about the, the baptism of Jesus points to your baptism. And I think he, David brought up a really good question there. Um, I've thought about this before. You probably have thought about this re if you've read through Mark 1. But why in the world does Jesus ask John to baptize him? Um, there's a later part in, in Mark where Mark actually says that the baptism is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Like Jesus doesn't need a repentance for, for forgiveness. He's... He hasn't done anything wrong. And I don't think that Jesus just was walking by the Jordan and was like, hey, John, I'm dirty from all the dusty roads. Could I, could I take a dunk? Like, I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, but the baptism wasn't, it wasn't the thing that washed Jesus clean of sin. He didn't need that. But it's also not the thing that washes us clean of our sin. What it is, is it's an outward sign of an inward repentance and an allegiance to God. Part of this is Jesus saying, my allegiance is with God. And there's nothing that's going to come in between that. And it's funny, it, as you're reading through that part of the passage, it's almost like John and Jesus have like a humble off. Like who can be more humble? And John is, John is talking about this coming Savior, and he's like, man, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. And Jesus is like, oh, I'm going to up you, man. He comes by, he's like, I want you to baptize me. And just, what? I can't do that. No, you're going to do it. Um, it's just the humility that Jesus shows in actually uh, submitting to the, the ministry of John the Baptist. It's astounding to me. But here's the cool thing, though. All three persons of the Godhead, we, t we call this the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three persons, they show up in this, in this scene. It's a really unique scene in that, in that sense. You got the surrendered son of God, Jesus, comes up out of the water, drenched in the goodness of God. You've got the father God who speaks out his love for his son, audibly speaks it. You got the spirit of God coming down and covering Jesus with this creative power that the Holy Spirit has. Now, I think not, maybe not in a literal sense, but in, in a spiritual sense, when we go, go into this act of baptism, water baptism, I think God does the same type of thing in us that happens here with Jesus. When you choose to follow Jesus in his death and resurrection, something happens. The Father looks at you like he looks at his son Jesus. He has love for you. You are his son. You are his daughter. The Holy Spirit comes on us in power. I can't explain that one all the time, but it happens. Um, and we, we had baptisms a while back here. Was, I think it was the first Sunday of the new year. And I'm telling you that... I've got a couple of you raising your hand back there. Yeah, I see you. I know I baptized you. Okay. Um, there's something about Baptism Sunday that is the best Sunday in, that we have at church. It always is. Um, Ever, there's like excitement that, man, somebody is giving their life over to Jesus. Uh, just so cool. Going under the water and, and, and dying to your old death. And then coming out of the water and, and raising a new life like Jesus raised out of the grave. There's something powerful in it. Um, but here's the thing. This baptismal, it's not full of water all the time. I hate that it's not. 
Um, I want to I wanna ask you, like, yeah, if you want to get baptized, just come and get baptized. I don't know how to fill it. So if we went in there today, like, it'd be like a dry baptismal. I don't know what. But I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized before, talk to me. Like, I, we want to make sure that people are getting baptized. I, I said this in the first service. I'm, I'm not sure that I always put as much emphasis on water baptism as I should. David is so awesome about it. People are getting baptized all the time, um, I think, in Beloit because there's, there's such an emphasis. It's obviously a little tougher with a dry baptism. Um, but I'm saying, if you want to get baptized, you've never been baptized, come and talk to me. We will make sure to figure out how to get that thing filled. And we will baptize people because there's something powerful in baptism. And it's, it's about identifying ourselves with Jesus. And Peter actually talks about it in Acts chapter 2. He says, change your life, turn to God, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is, I mean, he is like yelling at people to get baptized. There's a reason for it. There's something powerful in it. Now, truth is, many of you have been baptized, so I want to talk about the next thing that happened in this, in this story, right after the baptism. Because things got crazy. Just can't, I'm not going to give it away yet until I read it, all right? It's verses 12 and 13. It says, at once the Spirit sent him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. Now, let me stop you up real quick. David was talking about those immediately's and, and th- this is another one of those. At once, like immediately the Spirit, after this baptism, sent Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. This is a crazy turn of events. In one sentence, you've got this beautiful moment where Jesus is baptized. And it's awesome. And then in the next moment, the Spirit sends him out into the wilderness to be hungry for 40 days. Think about that for a minute. I don't know about you, but when I got, when I got baptized, it was on Tomahawk River, about three hours north of here. Um, and here's exactly what happened after I got baptized. I got up out of the water, and we had a church picnic. It was awesome. There was food. And I guarantee most of you, when you got baptized, you went out to lunch with your family, you went out and had dinner, and you would like, there's a celebration. That's not what Jesus got. He got baptized. And he comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit immediately takes him out into the wilderness to hunger and thirst for 40 days and to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. What? That's like, that's like watching a chick flick and you finally get to the end of the movie and the couple finally gets together. And you're like, oh, happy ending. And then the next scene, they just show him 10 years later with four kids in the house and they're all going crazy and everything is nuts. Jesus never got his happy ending. It goes from baptism to this. Wilderness. He didn't get his feel-good story. The Bible story is really messed up. The stories in the Bible are always messed up. And it, I wonder why that is. I think it's because of this. I think it's because we can identify with messed up stories. We can identify with those moments where you got the spiritual moment where everything's awesome. You got, you got God speaking out loud. God the Father telling, telling his son, I love you. From heaven, people. <laughs> like, that's awesome, right? You got the Holy Spirit descending on, on the son. Looks like 
the form of a dove. Now, I don't know what it looked like for the, those people. I imagine that, that if, you, if you believed that there was a God, you might have, you might have seen the dove and been like, oh, that, that's like the Holy Spirit. The rest of them, they're probably like, that looks like a bird. <laughs> Pretty bird. And if you hear the voice of God saying, oh, man, I love my, Jesus, I love you. You're my son. If you believe in God, you're like, oh, that was God. If you don't believe in God, you're like, that was a, that was a weird thunder. Something crazy happened here. And it went straight to the desert, straight to the wilderness. Jesus was trying to show that even his life didn't always go where he wanted it to go. After the good moments, there were bad moments. There is not really any happy endings here, is there? You and I, we're all going to die unless Jesus comes back first. But there is a better happy ending. Here's what I want us to see when you look at this crazy turn of events in the story of Mark. The wilderness moment for Jesus following his baptism reminds you that God even has a plan for you when he leads you into forsaken lands. There's a plan for you. Even though you went from the baptism to the wilderness. And guess what? More often than not in life, things aren't going to go the way that you planned them to go. Things aren't going to go the way that you wanted them to go. Sometimes you're going to think that your, your, your happy ending's coming. Man, this is... I'm, just about to get the job that I wanted or whatever. And all of a sudden, the scene changes. And it throws you for a loop. You can't tell me Jesus wasn't thrown for a little bit of a loop, getting taken right out into that wilderness. And here's a really troubling reality that I think you might find to be true. I know I've found it to be true in my own life. Sometimes some of our greatest trials in life will actually come after our highest moments. That's what happened here with Jesus. You got this beautiful baptism moment, and immediately after it, wilderness. That is what happens. <laughs> you, you might feel like you're in a, this great place, and, and the next day, man, Jesus had 40 days of hell on earth after his baptism. But here's what I, I want to get you to think about. If you ask Jesus face to face, hey Jesus, what was like the most monumental moment of your life? spiritually it was just I don't think he would probably say it was the baptism moment I actually think one of the moments he would probably pull, pull out of his life was the 40 days in the desert 40 days in the wilderness because that's where that's where character happens that's where dependence on God happens that's where change happens that's where Jesus goes into that wilderness and he doesn't come out the same same thing for us. We go into the wilderness, we don't come out the same. Today, you're likely either really, really close to a high moment in your life, or you're really, really close to a low moment in your life. There's almost no in between. Like, yeah, we kind of, sometimes we're all, we, we can live in the, the middle moments, but it's like there's always on the horizon neither a really good moment or a really bad moment. We, yesterday, it might have been really good, and you woke up today and you're like, ah, oh, life, it's awful. That happens. And we don't know what tomorrow actually holds for you, but this I do know. Uh, and worship team, you guys can come back up. I'm, I'm going to be wrapping it up here just shortly. This is what I do know. God leads you in each of those places. God leads you into the high places. God leads you into the low places. And he leads you out of both of those places. Here's what those places are for. No matter what place in life you are in, 
or you're going to. The objective is for the Holy Spirit to bring you out looking more like Jesus. Something happened in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted by Satan. Do you realize that Jesus didn't really go out and and do the, the bulk of his ministry until after the wilderness? Until after the trials and the temptations? After the hunger and the thirst? There's something there, guys. Because Jesus himself had to experience each of the stages, the high places and the low places. It doesn't, I don't think that we're going to get out of having to go through all those stages. But I also believe that God will lead us through those stages. And they're there so that we can become more like his son, Jesus. So today, here's what I want to do. I just want to encourage you not to lose hope. It's honestly the, the, main, the main thing that we're trying to get at today. I don't want you to lose hope. I don't know about you, but this week there was, there was moments in my week where I know I have hope in Jesus, but it just felt like you're looking at what's happening in Ukraine. You look at what hap- is happening around the world. Something happens in the, in the family that just isn't, doesn't feel good. And it's easy to look around you and to lose hope. But I'm telling you, the place that you're in, whatever it is, it's a stage that God wants to bring you through to make you more like his son, Jesus. It's not... We're not trying to become like Jesus because God expects us to be perfect. We're trying to become more like Jesus because that's the place that God wants us to be. So if you're going through a wilderness right now, that wilderness is for you. It's not, for your, it's not to harm you. It's actually to bring you through like Jesus came through the wilderness. I believe that our epic Jesus can lead us to an epic joy that we didn't maybe know existed before we went through the wilderness. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.